been bamboozled. Oh no. Oh. I was By capital what? B, capital oozled. Bamboozled. <laughs> what happened? So I get my new book on Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Um, puffed as chuffs. Chuffed oh, as yeah. puffs. Was, wait, this was the new one because you didn't like the first one. Correct. Okay. So I'm already diving into my sources here. Because the first one was a boring. It's dense for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, dense for all the stuff that you didn't need to know about. Correct. Okay, so you get your second so book. So I get the new one and I discover... That it's only really about his time in the Beatles. Oh, no. <laughs> That's like, exactly what we're not talking this about. This is exactly what I don't need right now. Mm. However, it actually did be useful in terms of what Paul did to leave the Beatles, which I think is important. And I will it cover today. It is, because he initiated the whole thing, kind of. Mm, he was the I first to be misnomer. like- misnomer. Was he the first to be like, yeah, I'm not in this. I'm not doing this anymore. Publicly. Publicly. Mm. Yeah. But he wasn't the first to quit. No. Yeah. Technically, John quit. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought. So George quit, but he came back. But he came back. Then well, Ringo quit, and he, he came, came back. back. And then George or John quit, and he's like, what? Well, but I quit, this. quit. I'll quit, quit. <laughs> but I won't tell anyone. And this way when Paul tells everyone, like, everyone will think he's the asshole. But like, is that really quitting if you say it in your head, but you don't tell anybody? <laughs> is that really quitting? <laughs> That's just like a whose dick is bigger kind of argument. Like, oh, well, Paul said he'd quit, but I quit first in my head. <laughs> that, no, that doesn't. That's not right. It's. There's reasons. I'm sure you'll get into those in your John episodes. I'll get into a lot in my John episodes. Guys, <sighs> it's a lot. Guys, it's the Beatles. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Where we don't stop talking about the Beatles. The who? <laughs> no, no, the Beatles. Beatles. <laughs> Who's on first? <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah, we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And yes, this is my second episode on Paul McCartney. Which uh, probably about like around nine o'clock last night, I was like, I should have done three parts. What am I doing? Oh, my God. I kind of did the same thing where I was like, I should have really done more in the first episode of George because I I condensed so much into the second episode that I shouldn't have. But I had a perfect opportunity to stop. Right. So I stopped and I was like, that was that was a mistake. I've yeah. made a huge mistake. I, I could have gone into what I will start this episode with. Mm-hmm. And I could have done that in the last episode. And maybe that would have given me a more a little more room in this one. But we highly underestimate what these guys did after the Beatles. <laughs> well, I knew I'd have to talk about Wings. And yeah. I just didn't realize how much there's to Wings. I could do a Wings episode. You know what? I'll do if you if y'all really need to know more about Wings, I can do a Wings episode. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. To which point Jeremy said, weren't they together for like four years? I'm like 10 years. And he looks at me and he's like, really? Wow. A whole episode on that? And I'm like, probably. We, and we need to talk about Say, 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 because that was the number one hit when I was born. So, <laughs> I mean, we're definitely going to talk about uh, Michael Jackson for sure in this episode. Great. Can't wait. So, yes, we will talk about Say, Say, Say. Can't wait for all the things we're going to talk about. Yeah. Again, kudos to Beatles podcasts. Y'all you know have what? to talk about this every week. I understand why you made a whole podcast about the Beatles. Yeah. Because you can. You pretty much can go day by day 
in the entirety of each beetle. Actually, the beetles were only around for 10 years. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> I can't. They made a lot of albums. They did. They did make a lot of albums. In that time, so. Yes. And a lot of movies. It's kind of weird. Yeah. The Beatles movies are fun, though. That was yeah. a noise. Yeah. Anyway, but let's yes. talk about what we're drinking. Yeah, we can talk about beer. The beers that are getting us through these times, guys. Uh, I am drinking a very delicious beer that you have brought to me, and I'm super excited <laughs> because for Because I brought it. you two beers that looked really delicious, and I'm like, I want to try them, but I want you to drink them because I can't. Yeah, Ashley cannot drink full beers. I can. can't do it anymore. So I am the experimental guinea pig. Good experiment, though. It happened, and it's yeah. good. I'm, I'm down with it. So, yeah, this is from Evil Twin Brewing, which once I saw that, I was like, oh, it's going to be fine. Yeah. At worst, it'll be fine. They make really good sours. So. Yeah. In general, I trust Evil Twin. And this is even more Gummy Source 2.0, which is a delightful. Hold on. What kind of sour is it? Just a sour? Yeah. It's just sour. It's just a sour. That sour ale like- with mango, passion fruit, pineapple, toasted coconut, and marshmallow. It's the marshmallow. Yeah, it tastes like toasted coconut with one of those really sugary. It's uh, like an ambrosia salad, but like oh, good. Oh, no, 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 but like good because has marshmallows <laughs> and mango and pineapple Kinda. and coconut in it. Yeah, but I like to think of it more as one of those fruit cocktail cups. See, I think that's gross. With toasted coconut. No, I think the ambrosia <laughs> salad is like way fucking grosser. Ambrosia salad is just fruit cocktail with marshmallows on that's it. That's disgusting. I'm talking about a fruit cocktail with toasted coconut in it. Either way, this somebody's beer... gonna find one of them gross. Yeah. So this beer, <laughs> but the beer is, is delicious. Good. This beer is heavenly. Highly would suggest picking it up if you see it. It's got adorable little dinosaurs on it. It is yeah. perfect. Love it. Here for it. Yes. Five out of five stars. Would drink again. Please give me more. Yeah. And the other one is Dewclaw, and Dewclaw never fails. Again. Like, honestly, Evil Twin and Dewclaw, if you see them and you're like, I want to try a nice beer, this yeah, is no. the one to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most certainly. But yeah, then uh, the Dewclaw we're drinking is Sour Me Black Apple, which is another sour ale. Look, I'm living on these sours because finally bitches are getting with it. Finally. Took everybody a really long time to I, be like, oh, do it. does everybody like Everyone everybody wants like a triple IPA with, you know, some real dank stuff in it. No, I don't. <laughs> I want a sour or I want a stout. I will go with a brown ale. I will go with a Hefeweizen. I will go with anything except for a motherfucking IPA. I mean, I will drink an IPA, but you got to you got to fucking you got to work. Anyway. You know, you know who was a winner? Paul McCartney. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about how much of a winner Paul McCartney is. Yes. So uh, like I said, I was bamboozled because I got the book many years from now by Barry Mills. Uh, I will still highly suggest it, though. Mm-hmm. It definitely, when we do Beatles episodes, I think it will come in handy. It's very accessible, and it is an authorized biography. He actually oh. interviewed Paul McCartney. So a lot of the stuff that I got about the end of the Beatles and his time with John, straight from Paul's mouth. Oh, that's good. So I really like it, and I appreciate it for that aspect, especially. Mm-hmm. And I did still um, use a little bit of... Uh, Paul McCartney, The Life by Philip Norman. So okay, still still kept at that because that was actually pretty good for um, like the nineties and the aughts. Mm-hmm. So appreciated that. Alrighty, so we pick this tale back up at the end of the Beatles' career. I won't go too much into the ins and outs of how they broke up, as that is another story for another time. Mm-hmm. 
But I will mention a lot of people say Paul is the one who eventually called it quits. And that is half true. He is the one who called it quits publicly. But quite frankly, they had actually been done for months. Yeah. Throughout the last few years of the 60s, all of the Fab Four were working on solo projects, looking for outlets that didn't require the constraints of the other three's involvement. I mentioned in the Rango episode that he got his solo album out first in March 1970, much to Paul's dismay. But it was really George that had solo albums first. Was his a solo solo album or was his like a collaboration? I don't remember. Solo. Oh, shit. Well, it was a soundtrack to a movie, but it was only him. Technically. 68. Oh, I was going to say, technically, Paul also had a soundtrack out. I want to say it was like 66, 67, maybe 68. But he worked with George Martin. And later on, George Martin was like, Paul's name was put on it, but I really did all the work. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I read said that it was George that had the first official like solo album yeah he probably you know what it doesn't matter we We could argue about it for an entire podcast we could have (laughs) an entire dick measuring contest just like the beatles did right (laughs) see in the later half of 69 john was the one who eventually wanted a quote-unquote divorce from the beatles and paul was left feeling pretty down about the whole thing in addition to that he had been feeling the sting of their choice to go with Alan Klein to be Apple's business manager. Yeah, Ooh. that wasn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it did not end up being great for them. No. Paul didn't feel comfortable with the way he handled business for other musicians and was rightfully fearful of how he would manage them. Again, won't get into it too much. That's more of a Beatles story. But Paul was also vying for his in-laws, the Eastmans, mm-hmm. to take over their affairs, namely uh, Linda's father and brother who were running right. their... Uh, lawyer place (laughs) i forgot what the word was i'm sorry someone's like the practice the practice there we go someone was screaming this stupid bitch i'm not listening to this (laughs) podcast anymore because it's run by a stupid woman who doesn't know words (laughs) anyway so not only did paul trust them i mean as they are family but he had a lot he knew that they had a lot of experience working with artists and helping them with their best interests so with all of these weights on his shoulders just feeling kind of downtrodden by the whole thing, he went into seclusion with his now wife, Linda, and their daughters. They just bought a farm in Campbelltown, Scotland. And they were like, all right, they're going to live off the land. And they created a very loving relationship and partnership. They kept their home in shape, their family fed, and it was a decent distraction for Paul. But unfortunately, his disappearance to another country blew up the rumors that he was dead. (laughs) Uh, number nine (laughs) number nine no any conspiracy theorist worth their salt knows the paul is dead story they say the real paul actually died in a car accident that took place in 1966 and was replaced with a lookalike named william campbell aka billy shears it wasn't george and and patty that Rat crashed into that lamppost no, in, the, in the rotary. It was, Paul, it was Paul. And he died. And he died. It was George that killed him. Oh my God. See, so we could just, no, we are 100% adding to the stupid theory. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Some find proof in Beatles songs like Glass Onion in the line, Here's another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. Or on the cover of Abbey Road, where Paul walks barefoot and out of step from the other Beatles. So everyone's like, see, clearly they're giving us hints. He's dead. 
Because he's walking different. <laughs> that oh. clearly means he's dead. He's clearly dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. Again. I, per- I- <laughs> Yeah. I personally find this conspiracy theory to be one of the dumbest ones. Just pushed by bored radio DJs who found their numbers were going up when they played specials dissecting the clues in the Beatles' work that proved that he was dead. Wow. It was like they just started to realize, like, if we just sit here and talk about how Paul's dead, now we have all these listens. And now all of these people had children, and they became the QAnon rioters at the Capitol on January 6th. Oh, God, they did, though. Woof. (laughs) Finally, in October 1969, Paul agreed to an interview and photo shoot with Time Magazine after a rather heated altercation with time magazine apparently they were sneaking around his farm and he got pissed and he threw water on them well i would too don't sneak around somebody's farm But like they got pictures of him being pissed off and he knew he's like fuck if they if they put those out i'm gonna be in trouble so what he did is he walked up he's like if you give me that roll of film i'll let you take all the pictures of me and my family that you want you can interview me but like and so they did that okay so never came out they didn't have a scheduled interview Mm -mm. already they were just like we're just gonna sneak around Mm -hmm. because we're time magazine and we need to be sneaky in order to get our interviews i guess time magazine what are you doing shake my head (laughs) but he did get to explain his absence from the spotlight and did his best to quell the bizarre rumors and it kind of worked. You know, the story really started to die out after that. Yeah, I just want to spend time with my daughters and my dogs and my fucking chickens and My shit. wife. Like, I just... My wife. My, I want to <laughs> spend time with my wife. <laughs> That's can, all I wanted. Can a Beatles spend his time with his wife? Nope. I mean, Apparently look at George not. and John and Ringo. Do you, see, do you see them spending time with I their mean, wives? George and John didn't want to simply because they wanted to fuck other people yeah actually Ringo did want to spend time with his wife he did but George was fucking her so Mm. (sighs) yeah George come on wag of the finger (laughs) at this time in Paul's life he fell into a pretty deep depression he was bordering on alcoholism starting each day with some whiskey and finding it hard to find the energy to do like much of anything (laughs) I I feel you right he was living quarantine life like years before yeah, quarantine. Yeah, like this was a wasn't thing. even Corona times, right? <laughs> Linda began to encourage him to get back into music, so he slowly began to create songs again, and this time it was for himself. All of this resulted in Paul's first solo LP, McCartney. Linda wasn't just a catalyst for it getting made, but she even sang backup vocals on some of the songs. That's nice. And her photographs would become the artwork for it as well. Multi-talented lady. She is a multi-talented lady. That boss ass babe and was all said and done it was ready to be released on april 17th 1970 okay however he had been away from his estranged bandmates and apple for quite some time and decisions were being made without his input and that april not only were they releasing the documentary for let it be but phil specter announced that the album would be ready for release around the same time so it was a no-brainer for them to do both simultaneously Mm mm-hmm Phil Spector. (laughs) Good old Phil Spector. Good old Phil Spector. As I covered in the Ringo episode, he drew the short straw and it was to bring Paul the bad news that his release would just have to wait. And here's where he lost his damn mind a bit on Ringo and outright refused to follow Apple's demands. Yeah. I just think it's fucking hilarious that he's refusing to follow the demands of the record company that he helped to create. Yes. 
because they basically made all these. Mm, I've I've got my feelings on this. I'll I'll get to that part. (laughs) It was the straw that broke the camel's back. Paul felt suffocated by his own label and was upset about so much. The disbanding of the Beatles, feeling held back by managers he didn't even like, and not having more of a say in what was going on within the band and at Apple. And I would argue maybe not totally in the right, because here's the thing. Yeah. I think it's a two-way street. Yeah. You can't just fuck off to Scotland. Yep. And not contact anyone. Yep. And walk away and then come back and be pissy. And be like, but you have to cater to me. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't have it both ways, Paul. Granted, I do think they probably should have at least reached out to him a little more. Yeah. When they're making decisions like, Paul, we're making this real important decision. Because then you can at least have that on your side and be like, well, we tried to contact you and you didn't say anything. Right. Because then it's on him. Mm -hmm. But... You can't just not communicate, period. Right. And just come back into the fold and be like, no, I want to do this. And then get pissed when they won't accommodate you. Because they're saying, well, we already pretty much planned this out while you weren't around. But also, I think Paul probably has a bit of a chip on his shoulder because he was a driving force behind all of the hits. Mm Mm-hmm. That the Beatles had. Correct. So he probably felt like, well, I'm a bigger part of this band, so you should accommodate me more than, say, Ringo. Ooh. Burn. Yeah. Ouch. But I think that that kind of was in his head a little bit. Yeah, it probably was. Because I'm I'm not fully convinced that Paul McCartney is 100% a humble man. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't think he is either. Yeah, like I don't think he's a jackass. Right, but But I don't think I don't think he has any self-deprecation. Agreed. <laughs> and I don't think he had that in 1969 or 1970 and no. I don't really think he has that now. No. And I get it. He's a fucking living living legend at this point, but like just be accommodating for other people a little bit. Yeah. Like, knock yourself down a couple pegs just a little bit. They all just hated each other so much at that point. And I get that. But, like, don't act like your dick is bigger than everybody else's just because you think you're more important. I would also like to blame this on toxic masculinity yeah. and stiff upper liftism. Stiff upper lift! <laughs> Thank you, ACDC. You're welcome. <laughs> I said it wrong, but that's No, fine. I was just, I'm letting it go. <laughs> Ain't what sounds like a case of someone who deals with things in a very passive-aggressive way finally exploding. Paul went on the offensive. <laughs> He's, I, I think he might be English. I'm not sure. Yeah, I also like game recognized game. I'm I'm a bit Paul. Like I definitely I've gotten better as I've gotten older. Therapy's very helpful. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely somebody who's passive-aggressive and holds everything in until like I get really mad about one dumb thing and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I feel that. Yeah. So anyway, I get this, Paul. Don't worry. So about a week or two before, he filled out a survey with the help of some of the Apple execs. A survey? Well, I mean, they call it a survey, but it was really interview questions to send out to the media. Okay. Yeah, it was basically just a self-interview. They're sending out to the press so he could avoid having to do anything in person. Okay, that makes sense. Right. I thought they were just like, 
<laughs> Apple was just like, we just need you to fill out these surveys. What color do you like better? Red or orange? How satisfied with uh, with our performance are you on a scale from one to ten? One, one being, being not satisfied, ten being very satisfied. <laughs> How likely are you to recommend Apple to your friends? <laughs> One being not at all likely, ten being very likely. Like, <laughs> cool. I don't even think of that. I'm just picturing that kind of survey. Like, he just bought a TV at Circuit City or something. <laughs> He's still paying off his fucking Rent-A-Center couch. Finally got that credit card oh. paid off. Oof. <laughs> He didn't spell it out in so many words, but when questions arose of working with John again, or if he missed the contributions of his bandmates, the answers were a resounding no. Sorry. How likely are you to work with John Lennon again? One being, fuck that guy. (laughs) Ten being, "Eh." maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. Yeah, so it was a big old no. (laughs) It was a big old one. It was a big old one all around. <laughs> Just very dissatisfied. Yeah. Did very, not like the service. Not likely at all. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for taking the Apple survey. Here's your coupon for 5% off your next purchase from Apple Records. Oh. It's <laughs> my fucking label. I should be able to buy what I want. It's not even a coupon. It's a rebate. Oh my god! You have to mail it you in. You have to mail it in and wait like twelve to fifteen weeks before you can get that sweet check in the mail for five dollars. <laughs> it's all worth it to get that sweet ACDC record, though. Am I right? It's true. <laughs> When the media got a hold of this, they immediately went to 11 with uh, creating headlines like, Paul breaks up the Beatles. Oh. Paul quits the Beatles. Oh. Yeah. Once he saw it in print, he realized the mistake he made. Really, no one wanted to be the one to rip the Band-Aid off and fully commit to the end of the Beatles. But here, Paul pretty much did just that. Because that's what everybody was doing. Like, I want to leave. Maybe I don't. He fucked up the survey. He (laughs) thought the 10 was 1 and the 1 was 10. This is all just because he fucked up the cert. He just fucked up the cert. Like, they're like, shit, he broke the computer, guys. Fuck, guys, we just built this computer. It's the first one, and he broke it. Some guy named Mr. Jobs built it for us. I think we're going to sue them later. It's going to kill me. <laughs> Steve's going to be so mad. It's going to be so pissed, guys. <sighs> With that, the album McCartney still came out on April 17th as planned. It debuted at number two, right behind Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water. This seems like a very good pairing. Yeah, it works. It really does. Yeah. While commercially successful, critics ripped it apart for sounding unfinished and claiming (laughs) Paul had clearly stagnated in comparison to his bandmates. Now, this all can be obviously chalked up to people being really butthurt that the Beatles broke up. But it doesn't even make sense because George released his solo album in 1970 also, and everybody fucking loved it. Everybody even though he but likes Ringo's. But granted, this was before um, Paul announced it because All Things Must Pass came out in the early part of 1970. Paul did this in December? No, this was April. So it was Ringo in March, Paul in April, and I think George was May. Maybe. I don't even remember. But yeah, George came out right after Paul. Okay. I remember that. And then, I don't know, John did some shit. 
John and Yoko put some stuff out. We all out. know what John and Yoko did, so. Unfortunately. Too great detail. Mm. Anyway, I digress. But most retrospective reviews have brought it up in the ranks and complimented for its endearingly homemade quality, which yeah. clearly means, like, like he broke up the Beatles. His music sucks. And, like, McCartney's a pretty good album. But I thought they were busy blaming Yoko for breaking up the Beatles. Everyone, it's everyone's well, like find one thing and just go with that. Don't try and blame it on fucking everything. The the only thing I, person I think who didn't get blamed was John, who actually kind of who did is break probably up the, the one who is most culpable. Yeah. in this whole situation, yeah, they were all culpable. But Except he's Yoko. a she genius, so it's fine. well. Hey, this is not the John episode. Also, I have a lot to say about John anyway. No matter which time period of reviews you read, though, Maybe I'm Amazed was always held in the highest regard. One of the few songs on the record to be recorded at Abbey Road, Paul plays every instrument himself. It's a sweet song that was written about his love for Linda and still receives a ton of airplay today. Very sweet song. Yeah. Maybe maybe the only song that came out of any of the Beatles that was actually about the person he was actually married to at the time. Actually, Paul did write a lot of songs about Linda. There you go. So, makes sense. Yeah. I think all of his love songs after he met Linda were for Linda. Good for them. Right? Good for them. Man, I'll get into it, but fucking... That's goals right there. Mm. So now Paul is stuck in this dilemma. He wants to release his own music outside of Alan Klein's control, but himself and all of the Beatles are now stuck in a contract that's going to go on for another several years. Wow. He initially wanted to sue Alan for messing with his release, as well as bringing in Phil Spector to mess with the album Let It Be, which has been famously panned for its bad production spectacularly a terrible idea paul was always very well noted as saying how much he hated what phil did to the long and winding road which is fair because the long and winding road fucking blows like it could have been a really good song but it blows and it's kind of crazy because he did really good things for all things must pass but when it came to let it be ripperoni what 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 was he doing what shooting he- shooting people and yeah yeah <laughs> he's just shooting his gun he's just off. shooting everything he's like i was shooting at all the records that's phil Spector. you know fuck it yeah however it was brought to paul's attention that he couldn't sue alan because he was actually not party to the decisions that were made now, bear with me because I don't fully understand the legalities of this here. Yeah. I have read... Honestly, the legalities of everything Beatles is just... so fucking daunting and confusing. And I think at a certain point, you might need to be a lawyer. Yeah. Or, I don't know, be in the record biz. Because I don't even fully understand this myself. But because his bandmates wouldn't just... Like, they wouldn't just come together and agree with a final dissolution for the band. So this ended up forcing Paul's hand, not only for his freedom, but for the band to have control of their own money and stuff again. Mm -hmm. And with that, he had no choice but to sue the Beatles. What? So he had to sue the Beatles because they were the ones who all basically signed the papers and agreed on things. So if he sued the Beatles, he could say, well, I wasn't privy to any of these decisions, and therefore these decisions are null and void? That and... 
he was forcing them to disillusion, like force forcing them to break up and therefore forcing Alan Klein to not be a part of Paul's. any of them anymore. Well, they could all, ch- they all actually, so John brings on Alan himself. Like Alan is managing John and I believe Alan ended up managing George and Ringo as well. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. Yeah. And I think George ended up having his own. Um, legal fight to get out of that contract with him. Spoiler. They all did. But Paul was the first one to see it. Right. So basically this was getting Paul out of any of like Alan's control and he could still release on Apple but like he could do it under his own terms. Right. And because he did that first that allowed the other band members to also sue him and get out. Yeah. Years later when they fucking realized how much Alan Klein was fucking shit up. Right. So, again, please excuse my incredibly crude understanding of how the law works. While he showed up to court every day, the others actually stayed out and had Alan go for them. And this case came down to questioning Alan's ability to manage the band's assets and properties. And it was discovered in a new deal with Capitol Records, Alan had them bump the royalty rate from 17.5% to 25%. For himself? For the Beatles. For Sounds great, right? Okay. And that Alan was guaranteed 20% of that. I'm sorry, what? Yes. No. And most of that he had actually already paid himself for. But Paul actually never agreed to this. And according right. to the rules of the Apple label, the documents required the signatures of all four members. And right. Because Paul wasn't on there. That was null and void. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So... On top of that and other things, the, jo- the judge ended up ruling in Paul's favor for the dissolution of the Beatles. Good. And found found that Alan was not competent enough to run their finances. Good. Therefore, it put them in the hands of a receiver until they finally came up with a terms for the breakup. And that's why the Beatles weren't paid out until like 1975 for their music. Right. So, it's really fucking convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like... It doesn't help that there's a whole bunch of other legal battles being fought by all the other members of the Beatles at the same time. Because if you remember, George was at this same time going through the plagiarism case with My Sweet Lord. And that wasn't resolved until 1976. Oh, yeah. And actually, I think it went on beyond 1976. And actually, it wasn't fully done and over with until like almost 1980. Damn. I think it was. I think. When all was said and done and went on for 11 years. So that would put it at like 1981. Well, shit. 1982. Music yeah. music and copyright stuff is so weird. It's fucking stupid. It's a lot. I'd get so tired by the end of them. Like, what am I even doing? Yeah. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Who told me this was a good idea? Make God music, they said. It would be fun, they said. Sue them for the rights, they said. <laughs> it's going to be worth it. All of this was going to take some time, like I said. At this point, the guys were not getting along, so negotiations were going to be a di- bit difficult. Mm-hmm. But as time passed, the other three began to see what Paul was saying about Alan, and mainly his lessening support of John and Yoko's project, and his stealthy pocketing of some of the sales of George's concert for Bangladesh albums that were supposed to go for charity. Yeah, once these things were going through, they're like, wait a, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, this guy is a piece of shit. Yeah. And Paul's like... I fucking told you so. I'm over here. I'm saying, hey. I think he's doing good. this for fun. I'm not doing this for this fun. This wasn't fun for me. Fun, fine. This wasn't fun. He does really 
really like to pat himself on the bum about doing that. Oh, oh, I'm sure. That's like McCartney's thing. It's like, I'm just doing this to make everything better. I think he believes that he is. Oh, he convinces himself of that. I don't think he convinces himself. I think he genuinely believes that he's doing. And I, I think, I don't think he's wrong. In this case, I don't think he was wrong. But he right. is very um, martyrish about it. Yeah, like he's sacrificing so much in order to make things right. He did, but I think he could have just done it better. He could have just done it and shut the fuck up about it. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. He could have uh, done that. Well, but it. I, but from what I understand of Paul, that's his thing. Like, he could have done all of these things and just shut the fuck up about it. Yeah. But he really wants people to pat him on the back for he, this stuff. He really likes the praise. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I'm not... I'm I not, don't want to take that from him. He I don't want to, you know, if you want to stroke your own dick about this stuff, go for it. But you know what? I'm not going to stroke <laughs> your dick for it. Does, so, is that okay? That's okay. Are we good? We're good. All right. I'll leave you to stroke your dick. All right. It's fine. Thank you. Appreciate it. Could you close the door on the way out? Thank you. Sure. Whatever you want, Paul. Thank you. Mm. It became a slew of suits. Alan getting sued, then countersuing, which eventually results in him getting let go with like a four to five million dollar payout. No, uh, whatever. Jump change. <laughs> and on January 9th, 1975, the Beatles were finally dissolved financially as a band, and all four were free to do whatever the hell they pleased. The whole thing took a mental toll on Paul and strained the band member- members' relationships for years. And I mean, I'll, I'll give this to Paul. Like, he did get a lot of shit for what he did. Oh, yeah, he did. So, I mean, that does suck. And and I think a lot I'm, of it was not I'm going to say fair. unfairly. Yeah. He unfairly got the brunt of it because he was the first one to come out and be like, yo, everyone, Things we're done. Things mm-hmm. here in the Beatles world. Yeah. Well, we're done. Bye. Yeah. Peace. Um, And I get it. You know, it, that was totally unfair for everyone to go at his throat for that. I agree. But the amount of back padding that he required... After all was said and done, is makes me kind of jaded towards him. Like I'm slowly yes. getting more and more jaded towards this mf'er, you know. <laughs> slowly but surely, like I need something to cleanse the palate. Yeah, I'll maybe maybe wings will do that for me. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll get to wings. I love wings. <laughs> So John writes, how do you sleep during these years? Basically calling out his former writing partner for causing all this trouble and took cheap shots at him for his lack of talents. Yeah, John. Like, apparently Ringo was privy to some of the songwriting process for this. And at one point he's like, all right, John, I think that's a bit enough. It's a little, don't you think you're going a little hard here on Paul? You can stop now, John. John, please stop writing mean things about Paul. I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> and like hey, John He's and Yoko, the guy apparently, that's trying to smooth things over. I know John and Yoko would apparently just go at it and like make up lines that were really shitty and like giggle about it like little shitty high schoolers. I mean, George did the same thing. He yeah. he took some shots at John too. You know who did it? Ringo. Ringo. You know who I was like just Ringo. trying to be a sweet baby boy? Ringo. <laughs> Still standing by my man. (laughs) Uh, But Paul doesn't regret what he did, though. He stands by it and is convinced that if he didn't dissolve the Beatles, Alan would have eventually run them into the ground and the four of them probably would have lost all their money and the empire they built and just anything that would have been 
honestly, I I kind of agree with him. Like, I do too. What else was he supposed to do? Right. At this point. And like, for what it's worth, Apple is still standing today. And if he hadn't forcibly um tried to get Alan Klein out and forcibly tried to dissolve the Beatles legally, mm. where would they be right now? Right. They their legacy would have been just fucking bulldozed. It would have been steamrolled like nobody's business. So oh, yeah. and who the fuck would have owned all of the rights to the Beatles? Well music. Which we'll get to oh, eventually. But like who who would have owned it for that period of time? You know? I get I still it. I get who did. I get why <laughs> I get why he did the things he did. I'm sure it was highly unpopular at the time and he probably was seen as a bully. Yeah. Um, but I get it. Yeah. During all this legal hubbub, Paul was not going to stay focused on just that one goal. Now that he got his toes wet with his first solo release, it felt right to go ahead and work on a sophomore release, which would come out in 1971, called Ram. He continued to keep Linda on for backing vocals and even musical ideas. As their relationship continued, she would learn music from him, and it became something they enjoyed doing together. She had no previous background in it, but after a while, she couldn't help but pick up what Paul was putting down. You know what? Good for her. I have dated plenty of musicians that are like, hey, want me to teach you how to play this? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I do you. not. No, thanks. <laughs> hey, can you sing background vocals? Like, sure. Yeah, I'll try. And then I end up crying in the bathroom. <laughs> Wow. Seriously, that happened. Oh, so that's, oh. Good for her. Good for Linda. She's game to try anything. And you know what? I think I am too. But then I, when push comes to shove, I'm like, no. I think they're also high a lot. And I think that just helps. Maybe that's what I should have done. Yeah. Maybe like, I wasn't enough of an alcoholic at that point. Yeah, right. That's You just needed two more beers. Yeah. It was all to their advantage. This way, they didn't have to be apart while he recorded or toured in the future. And they could bring the kids with them as well, keeping the family together. Because at this point for Paul, the family was really, really important. They went to New York City to work on Ram. And there he decided to bring in session musicians to fill the band instead of doing everything himself again. First on board was Denny Sewell on drums. And after that, he brought in Hugh McCracken on guitar. And together they created the album. And Ram was another commercial success, but again, critically panned. This time, he listened to the criticism from the last album, went more of a professional route, and now they're saying it's an inconsequential album, so why was he even bothering? He's like, I'm doing everything you asked me to do, and you're still telling me it's wrong. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? (laughs) He had his own dig at John and Yoko with the song (laughs) Too Many People, where he calls them out for all their proselytizing and their music. And a supposed dig at John for letting Yoko make all his decisions. Which is hilarious because George was proselytizing like fucking crazy. I know. On living in the material world. But that's fine. Yeah. I guess. Because, <laughs> you know, Ravi Shankar's on it and that's fine. Well, yeah. Ravi Shankar can do what the fuck he wants. He kind of could, though. He could. Despite the bad vibes surrounding Paul's solo work, he had no intentions of slowing down. He enjoyed Paul fucking McCartney. Paul fucking McCartney. He enjoyed being back in the studio, letting the creative juices flow, and discovered that he missed being in a collaborative group. To him, the most logical thing would be for him and Linda to start a band. So they asked their Ram backing band if they wanted in, and Denny was all about it. 
However, the excitement wasn't the same for Hugh. He had children, a new wife, and the thought of joining the band full time just wasn't for him. (laughs) So instead, Paul thought of someone who had experience in a band and he knew and enjoyed, but was no longer, you know, held down by another band. Oh. It was Denny Lane, vocalist and guitarist for the Moody Blues. But it was before they sang Nights in White Satin, so I don't care. (laughs) I'm just kidding, Denny. I totally care. All it took was a phone call where Paul asked him what he was up to. And when Denny said nothing, Paul was like, <laughs> come and join my band then. What you doing? Nothing. Want join my, my band? band? All right then. All right. <laughs> come to Scotland. 2 p.m. tomorrow shop. Bye. <laughs> On bass would be where Paul would stay, though. Later, he would be asked why he didn't go back to playing guitar. And he replied with, at this point, I'm a bassist that can play guitar. Oh, yeah. He's accepted it. He's accepted it. At first he hated it, and then he's like, nah, fuck it. I kind of like this. They all got together and jammed, collaborating on ideas. They went in just wanting to have fun. He was aware any project to follow up the Beatles would have probably a difficult time, so they were just going to let everything happen naturally, including the name of this new group. Oh. See, Linda was heavily pregnant with their third child. Danger ops. I know. But during labor, especially, it was discovered that the placenta was situated too close to the uterus, causing extreme complications for both mom and baby. Super dangerous. Super dangerous. While in the emergency C-section, Paul prayed heavily during this time, and in it, he had a vision of wings. After everyone came out happy and healthy, he felt like that would be the perfect name for his band. I'm sorry. That is kind of pretentious. I'm sorry. I just think... Any kind of, like, Jesus moment with Paul McCartney is kind of pretentious. I mean, I think most Jesus moments are kind of pretentious. Right, but with Paul McCartney, it's, like, extra pretentious. There's a couple extra sprinkles of pretension. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Well, but fine. If that's if that's your story, that's your story. That's their story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're sticking to it, so. They certainly did. Their first album, called Wildlife, would be released in December 1971, and... Man, critics hated this one, too. Of course they did. They claimed it was rush and perhaps deliberately second rate. Wow. I know. That's harsh. They're kind of douchebags. The one to get a lot of heat in all of this, though, was unfortunately Linda. Of course. Because she's she's a a woman. Women can't rush up our far, 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 far. How dare you? She was mocked as only getting a spot in the band because she's McCartney's spouse. Because she lacked a musician's background, they assumed she was talentless and a useless addition. Nope. She's an artistic woman with many talents that she just happened to not tap into until she married Paul. So... Well, Maybe she was always yourself. an amazing photographer, too, exactly. which is, like, She's even artistic. more frustrating. Uh, yeah, Linda always had to deal with criticism. The minute she got with Paul, it was, look at this fucking American divorcee bitch getting, coming in here and getting with, like, the, the angel baby of the, spe- of the Beatles. Getting with the cute one. Yeah. Ugh, yeah, pretty whatever. much. Of course, this was all hot bullshit, and Linda was contributing a lot to their music. Not only was she serving as a muse to Paul... But she was getting more comfortable with piano and it was able to write help write songs. When reggae music came to England finally, <laughs> Linda was very took a while. <laughs> it did take a while. Linda was very much taken by it. 
she and Paul thought it would be a great idea to go to Jamaica, which ended up becoming a great creative outlet for them. And you'll actually notice some of Wang's songs have a bit of a reggae beat to them, (laughs) especially in the verses Live and Let Die, which were written by Linda. Oh, like the yeah oh yeah yeah she doesn't have any musical talent at all i can't wait to stop singing paul mccartney songs guys oh it really pisses me off that the only version that comes to my head is the guns and roses version oh no and that's yeah that's not that's unfortunate that's not what i want no one wants that I certainly don't. (laughs) Despite the heat from the press, Wings decided to tour their music, but they were going to start off small. It was initially a university tour in the UK. University tour? I know. Small fucking beans. They were going to college beans. Going back to college. (laughs) Even though he never went there in the first place. (laughs) No, no, he didn't. You're right. But this way... They could get adjusted to that lifestyle, and it would be easier to get crowds at university shows, you know, more so than an arena. Mm-hmm. Performing solely McCartney or Wings material, the shows became pretty popular. They began to move into small venues with about like 3,000 people in attendance. That was about the max they could hold. It's like the palace. Yep. They also kept recording albums, still fighting for any kind of critical praise, but always coming up empty-handed. But again... What do critics know? Everyone's just really mad that the Beatles broke up. That's all this is. You have have a woman in your band. (laughs) That makes you illegitimate. (laughs) Because commercially, Wings was doing quite well. People really enjoyed Paul's new group, and clearly the butthurt of the Beatles breakup was fading away for them. At least those guys, at least. Hopefully. The producers for the upcoming Bond film, Live and Let Die, were not immune to Paul's charm with his new band and asked them to write the theme for the upcoming movie. And the resulting tune is a real banger and one of their most well-known. It was also the first Bond theme to be nominated for an Academy Award. Well, shit. Sorry to trend. Weird. Linda wrote it. Mm. Mm. Parts of it, but still. Mm. Suck my dick. (laughs) In 73, they released the album... Band on the run. That's that's a jam. I like Band on the Run. Which is so funny because I definitely thought that was a Beatles song. Oh, I didn't know who it was for like (laughs) ever. I I really thought that it was part of like one of their movies, like A Hard Day's Night or something, because they would always play footage of A Hard Day's Night when they're running. Oh, yeah. with, With Band on the Run. Playing over it, huh. so I always assumed that it was a Beatles song. I think that's wow, just I'm dumb. Some creative- no, I don't think so because I mean, at least like two degrees, good, good, close enough, close enough, but like many years apart. <laughs> eh, whatever. But here is where Wings finally managed to get some critical praise equal to its commercial because it, it sounded like a Beatles song. Oh, yeah, probably. This album has some of their most well-known songs, like mm-hmm. Jet. Yeah. I mean, that's a jam, though. Yeah, that's it is a solid jam. And what's the other one? It's like 1985. What's that one? I can't sing it. Okay. I'll play it for you later. <laughs> All I right. I might have even said it wrong. Go. It's like, I think it's just 1985, but like 
spelled out as 1985, so it always throws me off. But also, it's a jam. It's like, do, 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 do. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Okay. I'm glad. <laughs> you got my brain gears turning. Uh, yep. I think I know what you're okay. talking about. <laughs> Everyone else, just go fucking look it up. Just go look it up. Uh, it also has a delightful cover featuring the band with six other well-known people dressed as convicts caught in a prison spotlight. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, I don't know any of them <laughs> except Christopher Lee. Oh. Christopher Lee is on the cover. Saruman. Saruman's yeah. on it. He's like, I've got that fucking run one ring right in my fucking grasp. I just got to get away from this prison spotlight. <laughs> but who else? Who else? I don't know them. Oh, okay. Like, it's like a writer and like, I don't know, Some, a radio a personality and like a lady and a dude and <laughs> another dude and lots of dudes. <laughs> and that dude knows and, that dude. And Saruman. And Saruman. That's, that's all I give a shit about, really. Saruman. I really want someone to just remake that cover album with the band wings and like, <laughs> and just start, dudes, 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 Saruman. There's a dude with a beard. There's there's a dude of color. You know, the and there's Saruman. Galadriel's in there no, somewhere. No, there's no Galadriel. It's just Saruman. <laughs> also, Herman's Hermits. But hey, you know what? <laughs> just draw with Herman's Hermits in there. But in prison outfits. Yes. Linda would be a good Galadriel. Oh, yeah, she Just... would. No, I think she'd be a better Eowyn. No, she has blonde hair. Yeah. Arwen. Arwen has brown hair. Eowyn. Eowyn has blonde hair. That's what I said the first time. I thought you said Arwen. I'm sorry. Tolkien. (laughs) What the fuck? Hey, Hey, you said Tolkien right. I did it. Yay. We win. We win this podcast. All right, guys. Have a good night. Good chatting with you. Bye. (laughs) Paul had finally begun to restore his tarnished image since leaving the Beatles and was experiencing the praise of his former bandmates. Wings would go on to continue creating some top-notch albums throughout the 70s. They'd also go through a lot of band changes. Like, pretty much every position would be replaced by the end of the decade. Except for Denny Lane... He would kind of be a ride or die until Wings was over, and and like there's pros you know and cons to that. There was pros and cons to it. Denny Lane is in Denny my... Lane is in my uh, band, and he he's won't in leave. Wings. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and he won't leave. <laughs> anyway, in 1980. Wings arrived in Japan to finally tour in the land of the rising sun. I feel like Japan would fucking love these Caucasian bitches. Oh, they did. Oh, I'm sure. There's footage of them getting off the plane and just Japanese people crying like they did back in the Beatles days. Bless their hearts. Honestly. Well, I mean... So they were supposed to perform until Paul and Linda got busted for bringing in seven ounces of Mary Jane with them. I mean, so where are you going to get it in Japan? You're not. You're not. So Japan is super de-duper anti-drug. Right. They, like, no. 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 I mean. No. Can you live without it and just, like, subsist on sake? Now a day is when Paul gets interviewed. He's like, oh, stupid, I shouldn't have done it. No, I was just being a pretentious little but young whippersnapper. Where are you gonna where are you gonna get it? But, but also, also I f- bro, you got a family. Yeah. 
which come on came with him to japan okay yeah what were you Paul doing Linda. yeah like what i was like oh, what were you doing you knew japan because japan had it out for him because they were like i know you fucking do drugs and i'm just waiting just chomping at the you bit. did lsd once 10 years ago we're we're waiting for we're you waiting japan was out there like we're waiting for you so <laughs> just like, like fucking warriors just clanking bottles i still haven't seen that paul but mccartney right. come out and play, play. that's all i know so I'm probably on a list now. I tried to Google how much is seven ounces of marijuana <laughs> because I was like, is that a lot? Is that a little? And I don't know if that speaks to my very little knowledge in drugs or math. I really <laughs> both, honestly, <laughs> both. because quite frankly, we don't know shit about ounces. No. Um, I don't know shit about grams. No. Like if I if I'm trying to bake something and it's in if it's an English or European recipe i have is american kind of but not when you're measuring flour you do cups cups. you do cups you right like the tablespoons and teaspoons translate perfectly fine but like it's ounces and grams over there for us it's cups and that's basically it i'll fill your cups if you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) in the cups um but yeah like I I, I, no I don't know. I have no idea and like that's try, a lot. Is that a little? I have to do. I have to find like an ounces to cups conversion rates, and it's so complicated. Well, and I, was I just, just don't get it. Here's the thing. I was that person. Like I'd buy a dime bag and be like, I don't know what this is. It's a dime bag, right? Like I wasn't buying. Like, can I please get two point five ounces of no. marijuana? I want one of those little baggies full of the stuff that I want. Can yes. you do that? I want that baggie full of the thing that I'm going to smoke later. And now I don't like to smoke. I can just have an edible, and I'm Which like, is I'm going to so have much two more gummies. So much more pleasant. And it's just like, can I get two gummies? Yeah, like half the reason that, that I never tried pot was because it fucking stank. And it made me sick. But like, now just, you can just munch on it. And you're like, this is fine. Now I can just like eat a peach ring. And I'll probably be like, all right, this is cool. That's fine. I'm fine. We're Man. Good. Yeah. And, and you know what? Paul and Linda could have smoked that shit right in if they had gummies back then. Technology, man. Man, what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. The rest of the band flies back to England. Uh, the McCartneys were held in jail for about nine or ten days until they were released without charge. Nine or ten days? Yeah. Holy shit. I know. But I mean, it, Japan ain't fucking around. That's the thing. And a lot of, like, you can get seven years hard labor for marijuana in Japan, which, I mean, like, same for America, except 15 years of just, you know, getting raped and tortured. Yeah, you know. Same thing. Which would you rather have? Ugh. Anyway, the point is, they did get out. No charges. Big surprise. Yeah. When you're a big star, it is hard to get charged. But granted, I don't think that there should have been much more no. than that. No, there shouldn't have been. Honestly, yeah. nine it's to ten days in the slammer pot. is way too much. Way too much. For that. Yeah. So. Again, Japan, super strict on drugs. Yeah. It wasn't too long after this that everyone was kind of over the wings chapter of their lives. Paul wasn't feeling his music was a right fit for a band situation anymore. And so he ended up releasing a solo album. And this would grind the gears of Denny, Denny, Danny, Donnie, <laughs> just a little bit, who felt like his contributions to the band were being overlooked. On top of that, one of their biggest hits in the UK, Mole Over Kintyre, was co-written by him and Paul. But 
He was only compensated as a contract writer. Therefore, they initially paid a flat fee and he does not collect royalties on it. Yeah, see... That's not cool. This is the problem that I have with Paul, even outside of the Beatles. Yes. Is that Paul does not like to give credit to other people, even when half or even more than half Mm -hmm. of the song could have possibly, maybe, potentially (laughs) been written by somebody else. Yes. And I don't like that shit. That's fair. Because fuck you, Paul. Other people are good writers, too. It's not the Paul show sometimes. It can be the collective Wings show. Mm. I will say this. Maybe it is because it's his wife. But he does credit Linda on, like, pretty much every Wings song. Of course he's going to credit Linda. Of course. But, like, an outside person who is just paid as a session person Mm -hmm. but actually is writing half of this shit for you, he's not going to credit that person. Overall, the drug bust was kind of the end for Denny that ruined opportunities for their gigs in near future, which was affecting him monetarily. He stayed on for the sessions through Tug of War, Paul's fourth solo album, but he would be gone after that, effectively ending the band known as Wings. I don't blame Denny. Good for Mm-mm. you, Denny. Do your Denny, thing. Danny, Donny. You do you. <laughs> you can start a band called the Moody Twos. <laughs> You're welcome. Like most can attest to, the 80s were certainly a time. And Paul's started off with not only a shitty drug bust, but the death of a brother. The same no. death that caught all the Beatles off guard. Really? John Lennon. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Now, until I did my research into Paul, I thought he and John had never made up. No. However, I stand corrected. Mm-hmm. Yes, the two former Beatles had probably the nastiest fights post-breakup, calling each other out in songs and seeming to want nothing to do with each other. But that was more of a cover for how hurt they were by the events of the breakup. A while after the court case occurred, Paul began to miss the other Beatles and was slowly building back reconnections to them. But John was obviously the most difficult nut to crack. Sometimes he would call him up just to see like if they wanted to get together or talk and John just wasn't having it. One time on the phone he said you're just full of pizza and fairy tales. Pizza and fairy tales. Pizza and fairy tales. Wow. Which would be a great name for a band. <laughs> That's a good like post Beatles cover band or just like maybe a good like kids band like like kids bop for Beatles but like not Beatles. I don't know. Let's just take deathcore metal and just fucking turn into kid songs. (laughs) A chance came to see John from a very unlikely place. Paul had seen Yoko in England during her break with John, which you will get into in your John episodes. Mm -hmm. And they actually had a really friendly, lengthy conversation. And Paul asked if she still wanted to be with him and what it would take for them to work. And she explained basically like, yo, John needs to come back here to New York And he needs to court me again. Like, we need to go back to square one. Paul told her he could take a message to him on her behalf, as he and Linda were already going out to L.A. on record business anyway. And that's apparently at the time where where John was with May Pang. Mm -hmm. She agreed and told him where John could be found, which led him to one of those crazy-ass party times with Harry Nilsson, Keith Moons, and all the like. That I had talked about in the Ringo episode. Fucking Harry Nielsen. John was producing Harry's album, Pussycats. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Paul came to visit with them. 
After some time, Paul managed to pull him aside so they could chat. He finally brought up Yoko, asking John if he wanted to get back with her. When he said yes, Paul explained what Yoko wanted and told him he had to go back to New York City. Apparently, it wasn't too long after that that John went back to begin to work on things with Yoko. I don't know exactly what happens because there's crazy fucking stories and you'll get into it in your own episode. But according to Paul, he played a heavy hand in that. And I'd say maybe that should squash the whole Yoko broke up the Beatles myth because they all, after the breakup, were fine with Yoko. I think in more recent years, at least in this past year or two, it has really become more accepted that Yoko did not break up the Beatles. Right. However, a lot of people still really hold on to that. But it's like... Like old girl, boomer guys? Girl was really just doing her own thing. And John was really fucking into it. Yeah. She didn't change. Mm-mm. It was John that changed. Correct. I agree. So it's not Yoko's fault that he changed. Mm-mm. It's his, it was his own decision and to do they that. They were all changing. Right. All of them. Right. And... Good for Paul for realizing that this was a relationship that needed to be salvaged. Yeah. And a good creative outlet for the both of them that right. needed to continue. So, yeah. I will 100% get behind him on this. Right. And if he hated Yoko, he wouldn't tell him and or her and John to get back Even together. Even if he did hate Yoko and he still did this, good for him for being a fucking you know, good friend. Yeah. Period. And just saying, and, and I guess he didn't even like necessarily orchestrate anything just in the sense of like, do you want this? Because I will help you if this is something yeah. you want. I'm sure he maybe saw something in it for him. I mean, it was a chance way. to reconnect with John. Right. And there could have been more reasons beyond that. But either way. I think it was all for a good reason. It ended up being good, I think. Oh, 100%. In the long run. Because at this point, clearly no one hated each other anymore. Time can heal wounds, and there was a handful of times where Paul and John would visit with each other and even have a jam session or two. One night at John's home in the Dakota in New York City, they were together, a little drunk, watching NSL for the infamous episode where Lauren Michaels say he'd pay the Beatles 3000 each to perform. SNL. You said NSL. Did <laughs> like, I really? I was like, what is NSL? Oh, SNL. Oh. I did even write SNL. <laughs> no, I like that. I, NSL. I liked for the Night hot second. Saturday Night Live. I liked for a hot second in my brain. I was like, NSL, what does that stand for? <laughs> Night Saturday Live. Night Saturday Live. <laughs> That's not terrible. <laughs> yes. So they were watching SNL for the infamous episode where they were offered three grand each to perform. Uh-huh. And for a hot second, John said, Let's ride down the street. And Paul was feeling a bit inspired. They thought, oh, let's go over there and see what they we'll see if they'll actually let us do it. But ultimately, they were just too drunk and didn't feel like it. Nah. And that's fine, too. I feel that. Paul always states how relieved he is that he and John eventually made up. They would never be close in the same way as they once were, but they could talk from time to time about life, having kids, baking bread, and even cats. Baking bread and yeah. cats. Yeah. <laughs> Baking cats. <laughs> baking bread, comma, and, and even cats. cats. <laughs> okay. Not baking cats. If you saw my bread. notes, you would see there's a comma between <laughs> breaking bread, breaking, baking, breaking bad. You know what? They just made meth. They did. <sighs> he feels grateful that they managed to be on good terms when John died. When the news hit Paul on December 9th, 
he didn't know how to cope. And like George, he went into the studio and worked so hard so he didn't have to think about it. Not until but he really, was ready. That's all he could think about. Oh my God. Yeah. All of them. Yep. The press, of course, made their ghoulish advances and confronted Paul as he was on his way home that day and asked him how he felt about John dying. Still in a state of disbelief, the only thing he could think to say at the moment was, it's a drag? He actually was like, it's a drag. And then just, of course, he would have to explain in later detail. It's like, how about you fuck off? (laughs) Yeah. Well, later on, he basically had to explain in detail how he spent an entire day sobbing after that. Yeah. Like, all of the Beatles probably did. Yeah. Like, I just picture, like, my, a montage in my head of just Ringo, George, and Paul just fucking breaking down and losing their shit. Yeah. There's, like, so many things to get upset about. It's not even just that John died. It's how he died and how that's a ripple effect and how bullshit and unfair it is. And how he's just trying to go to the corner store and get some fucking milk and people won't leave him alone yeah. to grieve in peace. That's a thing, too. It's like none of the Beatles could just fucking, like, grieve. Yeah. It, it was bullshit. Yes. Paul and John, they were okay at the end, which made me feel a lot better. hmm Not every relationship can be saved, oh, though. No. So something that Paul would discover in the mid-80s after a recently made friend would betray him. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. One night he got a phone call on his private line, and on the other end was a little voice looking to work with him on some music. And that little uh, voice oh, was oh, Michael Jackson. Oh, oh no. You're ignorant. <laughs> oh no. They got on right away, discussing business and working on collaborations that would gain a lot of popularity. Like The Girl Is Mine, that we actually discussed in the Thriller episode because it oh, got yeah. on Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah. Snooze fast. And we were like, this isn't a good song. But what was better was Say, Say, Say. Number one hit, December 23rd, 1983. <laughs> Happy birthday, Ashley. <laughs> the song's going out to Ashley. There's going to be a lot of animosity here soon. <laughs> Since Michael was so much younger and an up-and-coming pop star, Paul felt he should give him some solid advice to help him through the jungle of the music biz. Mm-hmm. It's so nice of him. I imagine what that advice is. Mm. <laughs> he told him to get into music publishing, something he had learned the hard way as he and Lennon did not have the rights to most of their catalog due to a ridiculous amount of dodgy business being pulled by their original label, Northern Songs. I'm not going to get into all this right yeah. now because I'm done with legal shit. Just basically, they didn't have the rights to their own music. Right. Because when you're a young musician, it's easy to get fucked over. Correct. As he considered Michael a friend, Paul would confide in him about the messes he had been <laughs> through and knew he might have a chance to soon buy back his songs. And his little friend just looked at him and said, I'm going to buy your songs. <laughs> and like Paul thought it was a joke. He's like, oh, you. And Paul. You're funny. Paul. Much like Joe Bluth has made a huge mistake. <laughs> They'd just be hanging out and like Paul, he just stares off like, into the distance and goes, "I've, I've made, made a huge, huge mistake. mistake." Meanwhile, Michael's like, "I'm gonna buy your song." <laughs> yep. He's like, "Ah, oh, it's a bit of an old joke. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> it's an old joke, but it checks out all right." Oh, you're a funny one, Mikey. <laughs> no, really though, I'm gonna buy no, all I'm your songs. I'm gonna buy all your songs. <laughs> you're gonna get so fucked in the end. <laughs> When Paul got the call to get his songs, 
He didn't want to do it alone. He felt Yoko had the right to them as they were credited to Lennon McCartney. So he called her up and told her they were going for 20 mil. They could split it 10 and 10. She was like, nah, we could get it for like five. I can do this. (laughs) But before they could even put in a bid, they were already gone for 50 million. 50 million. Holy fuck. Yeah. Well, like 47 or 48, but I'm rounding it up to 50. Because at that point, what's an extra three mil? Wow. So he reaches out to Michael to kind of ask, what the hell, man? But all Michael could say was, it's just business. Wow. (laughs) The fucking balls. The the very small balls on that very little man. He had he he's got to have some balls somewhere. They're there. Wow. But Paul didn't see it that way. Now the Beatles songs were being used for Nike commercials and Oreo cookies. He felt it devalued the work and he just wanted to own his own fucking music. Yeah. There's no reason. And he also thought his friends, you just shouldn't fucking do that. It made him question. Especially considering Michael called him up and was like, hey, you want to do something? Hey, do you want to work on some songs? And he's like, yeah. And to thank you, I'm going to buy all the rights to your songs right? and use them however the fuck I want and right? not respect your wishes. Yeah. Cool. Still friends? All right. Cool. It's just business. We should still be friends, right? Because no. Michael Jackson never got past the age of five. Honestly, he didn't. He didn't. So, wow. Yeah. It made him question Michael's morals and basically destroyed any friendship they could have possibly had. But (laughs) funny thing is, Michael Jackson had a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Money notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. In 2006, he was facing bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So he sold half of his ownership of those songs back to Sony ATV. And even after he died, the estate was having trouble keeping up with the finances. So they sold the rest in 2016. Okay. The following year, Paul filed suit against Sony to get his songs back by 2018 due to a copyright law that states that songs made before 1978 can be reclaimed to a publisher after 56 years. Finally, after a a confidential settlement in June 2017, Paul got the Beatles catalog back. Wow. Also, those songs are 60 years old. Yep. Yeah. Yes, they are. 60. Yeah. They are an entire Gen Xer. They're they're an entire they're a boomer. No, not a boomer, Gen Xer. You sure about that? Yeah. Yeah, they're just weird cuspers like we are. <laughs> However, he and Michael never made up. They are an older Gen Xer. Yeah. While stressful, the 80s had some fun experiments for Paul. He did do a duet with Stevie Wonder called Ebony and Ivory. <sighs> <laughs> and it was a hit. And it maybe kept some of his faith in collaborations. It was a hit back then. Back then. It doesn't really hold up anymore. I, I think that is might be the one song that just 100% does not hold up. No. I, I mean, I, th- I think it's hard to get mad at it because, like, I think all of the best but, intentions are there. But, but it's, it's also hallariously like, bad. I'm a black. Guy. He's a white, white guy. guy. He oppresses me. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and I'm okay with it. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not okay with it, but it's this song. So I gotta pretend. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's Ivory. <laughs> That's not the 
the way it goes. But, but it, actually, know. SNL basically, <laughs> basically did, a bit. did the same thing. Yeah, like back in back when it came out, they did the same bit. That's pretty much what it is. It and is I don't well. even give a shit what the lyrics are, but that's my interpretation. That's what I'm going with. It's not not far off. Far off. <laughs> no. In '84, Paul tried his hand at screenwriting for a movie that he starred in called "Give My Regards to Broad Street." Basically, it followed him around in a day in the life of Mr. McCartney, but also with random musical numbers in it. And Ringo. This sounds terrible. I want to watch it. Oh, it tanked. Roger Ebert called it, quote, as close as you can get to a (laughs) non-movie. God bless that man. I know. But apparently, but also I want to see it in MST3K, the shit out of that movie. We should 100%. We can do that. On a Twitch stream, which hopefully we will have soon. Yeah. Maybe. We're working on it. Promise. Hold on to your butts, kids. Might do that. Grandma's, Question mark. Grandma's might be on Twitch soon. <laughs> grandma's on Twitch. That's going to be our handle. Grandma's oh, on grandma's Twitch. <laughs> Someone took it. You know they did. <laughs> Probably. The The soundtrack, however, is quite good and did very well. Sure. Because it's just Paul music, so of course. But what probably did even worse than the film oh, no. was the video game created for it <gasps> on the Commodore 64. What even is that? The Commodore 64? Yeah. I oh, it's, n- a, it's a game station. I have I've never heard of this. I, what um, is this? Fuck. I, I don't want to go. I'm not 100% sure. I feel like <laughs> I played one once and I was very drunk. I think it's hooked up to a computer. I think it's the one that hooks up to a computer. It's like Atari age. Like, it's very old. It is. It's terrible. It predates the Nintendo. And and I was watching a brief. Basically, I brought all of this up so I could talk about this video game. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Because I watched a, a, a video clip on it on the YouTubes. And you drive around and you have to like pick up your band members however if you haven't seen the movie you're not really gonna understand then, how to play the game and then you crash into a light post and you pretend that your bandmate died yes but then you replace him with somebody billy else. shears <laughs> and then shuffle off the dead body somewhere else you have yes. to hide it you gotta throw it somewhere see and that would be a much better that's game. that's a side quest that would be <laughs> such a much better game but my favorite part is the the video game, as you know, back then, video games could only have, like, one song. Mm-hmm. And it was a real shitty MIDI version of Band on the Run. Oh, my God. For some reason, it. I am picturing this as the Goonies video game, but it's the Beatles. It's so bad. Oh, no. You, di- you couldn't do the... Have you ever played the Goonies video game? No. Wow. It is so bad because you could not... I, at least, could not figure out what to do after the first level. Here's the fun thing with all old games. Not all, but most. You don't know what to do. You have no idea what Mm -mm. to do. And, like, all you can really do to try and figure out what you have to do is jump up and down. (laughs) That's all you... I could jump up and down all I wanted. Couldn't figure out what to do. Nothing can be worse than the E.T. game. I didn't have the E.T. game. I didn't either. I played it at a bar one night and I was like, oh, the glitch is real. The glitch is real. The glitch is real. Honestly, in most of them, the glitch is real. The glitch is very real. Fester's Quest also. The glitch is real. The glitch is real. Let's be honest. 
Paul was big enough to do a silly film and then continue on his merry way, making more albums, performing at Live Aid, and overall becoming a household favorite. Just having a good time. Having a good time. There didn't even seem to be much backlash when he released an album only in the Soviet Union. Oh, he is back in the USSR. So I can't say the name of it because Russian, but trans- They have a different alphabet. I don't get it. Yeah. It translated, it does say back in the USSR. Of course it does. Um- it's spelled Choba B-C-C-C-P. Sure. I I don't know Russian at all. <laughs> no idea. But I guess I'm just an ignorant American. Ignorant. That's ignorant. <laughs> Mostly consisting of cover songs from the early years of rock and roll. And initially he wanted to release it in the UK looking like a Soviet bootleg. But EMI turned that idea down. So Paul thought instead, fuck it. You know what? It'd be a nice gesture of peace to just only release it in the Soviet Union. There you go. So he did that instead. And it had a Didn't really... help things, but good for you. But you know what? The Soviets fucking loved it. <laughs> they ate it right up. And then two years later, it would be released internationally. The rest of the world's like, oh, I guess we should stop being dicks, huh? Mm. As we enter the 90s, we would see a lot of experimentation coming from Paul. He collaborated with conductor-composer Carl Davis to write Liverpool Oriatorio, an opera with a storyline about a young man from Liverpool who marries his high school girlfriend, and they learn how to balance their marriage and their careers. Excuse me, pinky up. Also, that is completely unrealistic. Well, no, I think it's too realistic, which makes it boring. (laughs) I mean, it was realistic for the 40s and 50s when they were growing up. Right. It it was kind of based around, like, Paul's upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. While audiences seemed to enjoy it, of course, critics panned it, saying while it was a good effort, it was slow and overly simplistic. I don't know. I've never seen it, and I I don't think I have any qualifications to judge an opera. Neither do I. But it wasn't just the symphony, where Paul tried out some new skills. He also dipped his feet into the world of electronica. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Which I did not know this. Nope. This was a fascinating learn. He would join forces with the bassist from English rock band Killing Joke named Youth. His real name is Martin Glover, but he goes by Youth. Killing Joke? Killing Joke. Really? Yeah. This is hard to believe, but okay, sure. (laughs) Like, go for it. You know what? All right. Michael Jackson, Killing Joke. Okay. You know what? The glitch is real. The glitch is real. Let's <laughs> let's do this. I'm hiking up my leggings. Let's go. Let's go. Initially, he came on to help Paul mix his ninth album off the ground. During the process, they began to experiment with the multi-tracks and sample them to create new songs. And the result was a bit like ambient techno. And from it, they made the album Strawberries, Oceans, Ships, Forest. That's not a mouthful. Yeah. But actually, I listened to it. It's not bad. I, I don't doubt Especially it. Especially for like 90s ambient techno. I'm like, like Killing Joke bad. is great. So sure, if they want to do something with Paul McCartney, why not? Right? I'll listen to it. It's it's. I would definitely suggest uh, the first album is pretty good for sure. Mm-hmm. In 98, they came together again to create another album called Rushes. Keeping with the same. Yeah, right. They were keeping with the same themes as before, and the critics seemed to like it, saying it was an improvement on the first album. And actually, this is quite good, too. But then, oddly enough, 10 years later, they would release one more album, Electric Arguments, that ironically lost the electronica feel and played more like experimental rock. 
which sounded just kind of more like indie rock. Yeah. Which no digs on indie rock. I love indie rock, but it just wasn't the electronica I wanted. Right. When I was listening through. Unfortunately, Mm. Paul would once again see breast cancer rear its ugly head. In 95, Linda was diagnosed with the same disease that took his mother when he was just 14 years old. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I know. I didn't either. Fuck. Initially, she went to the doctor not feeling well, and he claimed she simply had a cold. She went back a couple weeks later, claiming that there's no change, so he sent her to a specialist who found a malignant tumor in her breast. Shit. Yeah. They got her in for emergency surgery, thinking they removed it all until they realized just how much it had spread. How old was she when this happened? 50. Fuck, it was 95. She was born in 44, so she was like 49, I think, when she got diagnosed. Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, no, she was 51. That's how math works. Fuck. That's how math works. God damn it. How much is seven ounces? Is that a lot? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. So she was only 51. Linda got on to chemotherapy. And instead of waiting for her hair to fall out, she just shaved it. She demanded they live life as normal as possible and try to keep her illness quiet. Shit. Just don't really bring it up. She just wanted to live her life, man. And when the first round of chemo didn't work, she was put on a second. And Paul was by her side through it all. For two and a half years, she kept fighting, despite knowing the inevitable. She stayed active with her animal causes, promoting a vegetarian lifestyle, saving animals from being tested on and beyond. But she was also proactive and put a will in place to make sure her family would be taken care of after she was gone. Mm -hmm. So it's like... Live my life, but also be pretty well aware of what's going to happen. Yeah. The Fireman album, Rushes, actually was heavily influenced by Linda for Paul. She even assisted on some of the tracks and also on tracks for an album they assumed would be released posthumously. Mm-hmm. Posthumously. Posthumously, yes. I always thought it was posthumously. I think you can say it either way. Okay, cool. Eventually, she was ill to the point where the family craved ultimate privacy So they went to their small home in Arizona. No one else fucking knew about it. I didn't know they had a house in Arizona. That was on purpose. Arizona. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where Linda would ride her horses until she lost the strength to do anything but lay in bed. Two days later, on April 17th, 1998, she was laying in her bed, surrounded by her husband and children, where they were all able to tell her how much they love her. And where Paul told her a story of how she was riding on her beautiful Appaloosa stallion on a clear spring day. But before he could finish his tale, Linda McCartney would peacefully slip away. Ugh, that sucks. It was fucking heart-wrenching to read this. I was like, I can't right now. (laughs) This is really sad. Yeah, that's fucking terrifying and sad. Yeah. And like, it's such a fucking terrible loss because Linda was such an amazing woman. Yeah. Like, Linda is like, for me, goals as a human. She's just a good yeah, person. Yeah, she was human goals and relationship goals. Like, girl, fucking had it, man. Yeah. Oh, fuck. The and, lo- and you know what? Me didn't do any better after. <laughs> you really didn't. Um,. Not immediately after. No, yes. I would say immediately after, no. But we'll, we'll, get, to, we'll get to that. Mm. The loss of his wife devastated Paul. Later on, he would confess to crying for the entire year after her death. Linda and Paul are true relationship goals, and there would never be someone in his life like her again. 
it's a hard thing to come to terms with. I mean, he lost, I don't believe in like quote unquote soulmates, but for lack of a better term, he lost his soulmate. Yeah. And it's, it's just nice to see that he had feelings like that afterwards. <laughs> like after, after going through <laughs> uh, Ringo and um, George, George and the first half of Paul, it's just nice to see that somebody had that much of an emotional reaction to a loved one's death, yeah. I guess. And I think that's because all of the Beatles were raised as Northern Englishmen. Stiff not- upper lip. Yeah, you gotta have the <laughs> stiff upper lip. They were very ACDC raised. <laughs> yeah, they were. And I think as a lot of them have gotten older, Ringo and Paul especially have learned to kind of let that go a bit and yeah. be a bit more loving and a bit more okay with showing their emotions. And Linda's loss wouldn't be the only one he had to deal with. There, of course, would be others. But Paul lost another family member in November 2001 when George Harrison would pass away also of cancer. Yes. Again, there was a buildup to this as he was diagnosed with throat cancer a few years before. And we discussed in the George episodes, Paul stayed with him for some time before he passed. He even passed in his house. I know. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he just made sure he was able to say goodbye to his friend in his own way. Because they, like, they were okay, I think, for a little while before George passed. But, like, the few days or, like, a couple weeks. Yeah, a week um, or two, I think. That between their first meeting in New York with Ringo and George's passing, like, I think Paul was really, like... Yeah, I really need to fix this. I need to do something yep. for my good friend who has always really been there for me, even right. if he hasn't been there in person. So I think he really wanted to make up for that. And when George died, Paul very much was able to kind of be a little bit more on because I think at this point he was ready for um Yeah, you know, he had the already press. gone through it. Yeah, and so when the press went to him, he's like, Look, like I so devastated to lose this guy he was like my little brother I'm so proud that I got to be friends with him yeah and I think even though the guys in the Beatles didn't talk for a long time there was still that brotherly oh yeah thing it's they all would refer to each other as my brothers yeah it's the thing that you have with family with siblings and it's the thing you have with childhood friends yep where you can argue and you cannot talk for 15 years Mm -hmm. but as soon as you come back together you're like it's all forgotten it doesn't matter we're still there is this underlying level there's an underlying thread of love yes that's never going to be broken no matter how much you hate each other no matter (laughs) how much you say shit to each other behind each other's backs and no matter how much bullshit you find out it's always going to be there right. and you cannot talk for the 15 years and you can come together and still be like, yeah, we're we're fine. Yeah. Everything's OK. Exactly. And that very much humanizes all the Beatles. And I think that also kind of negates like, yeah, Paul loves like scratching his own back. But you know what? He clearly is a person who cares at least. He he definitely likes the praise. Yes. He likes people patting his back. But it's at a level where I'm like, I'm not offended by it. Right. And I think, again, I think 
seeing how human he is about his relationships. Right. He's still a human. Yes. Which is why I'm not offended by it. Right. Because I know people who are like that. And I'm like, you're kind of an asshole t- sometimes, but <laughs> you're still a human. And I still like you. I know you're still a good person. I know deep down inside you have body parts. Exactly. <laughs> you still have a heart it's and there. a soul that's somewhere in there might be buried deep down in the cockles of your heart but hiding behind that enlarged liver stop (laughs) drinking that's where mine is i get it i know i feel you (laughs) the turn of the century saw paul working just as hard as ever he's writing songs performing live organizing charity events like he's like nah gotta keep going gotta Mm -hmm. keep going seeing too much death what took many aback was when 2002 only four years after the death of his wife linda Paul married another woman named yeah. Heather Mills, yeah. a model and businesswoman, best known because she was a model with a prosthetic leg. Yeah. Yeah. The fucking British tabloids loved her. They hated her. And by loved her, I mean they hated God, her. God, they hated her. Unfairly, but also... I, 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 she's Heather hard. Mills is a controversial she's and complicated character she she's has a, layers she's a red onion she has layers i'd like to avoid her <laughs> together they had one child and for years they seemed to have a great relationship until out of nowhere they didn't <laughs> it's kind of true though it is in 2006 they had separated and the following year she would file a nasty divorce i do remember their divorce i did not know that they even got married because at that point I did not pay, oh, attention, pay attention to anything Actually, Paul McCartney. I do remember him getting married to her and being like, wow, that didn't Linda just die like a couple of years ago? I remember hearing about Linda dying, but I had I I don't think I heard about her at the time that she died. I think I only learned about her when this new marriage happened. Oh. Because everyone was like, <gasps> she only died four years ago. What is he doing? Clutch my pearls. Clutch my pearls. <laughs> well, so I guess what's strange is initially it seemed that Heather kind of blamed their kind of growing apart from Paul on his daughter, Stella, claiming that she was jealous and evil. No, I'm pretty sure Stella was probably like, I see you, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and Heather didn't like that. So she decided to represent herself in court and filed documents claiming that her husband was an abusive drunk who smoked too much weed. I do remember that. She said, like, he would get drunk and, like, stabbed her with a broken bottle. Oh, yeah, that totally sounds like Paul McCartney. Threw her in the tub when she was pregnant. What? Yeah. Yeah, totally sounds like Paul McCartney, right? I like to believe victims. I do, but... Well, so here's the thing. Paul's lawyer thought that was all pretty weird because the year before she published a book claiming how wonderful her husband was right. to her and how they had great and open communication. Like she was always saying how, you know, he would cook and she would clean and like right. he would make her breakfast in bed and she would right. and they would. She That's always went on about it's not even like it was like gross, weird fabrications thing like, oh, my God, but he's like just the best. Why? I don't know. He just is. It was like she had examples and I think for me, one of the biggest red flags is if you're going to talk about how great like communication and like go into deep detail about how you think, like what your reasons are for having a great relationship, I just have a hard time believing you out of nowhere being like, he threw me in a bathtub. Yeah, especially when this only comes out during 
uh, the divorce like, hearings. Divorce yeah. hearings and. I don't know. That makes me sound like an asshole. Too. I know this makes me sound like an asshole. Like I, I as, as I am talking, I feel like an asshole. But I guess like I do feel a little vindicated um, because she's been called out a lot on making things up. Oh, um, yeah. apparently, like she's been called out on like her origin story not quite being as dramatic as she made it. Like she was estranged from her dad for a while, and she had like stories about that that kind of came out as not really true mm. and. Like, exaggerating on, like, her leg amputation and stuff. So. So weird. Yeah, that's why I'm, like, she seems like somebody who might have a problem with making things up. I I don't doubt that she's had um, shit that she's had to overcome in her life. Of course. That's, Um, like, I don't want to be shitty to her. Right. But I... I do get the impression that she definitely has exaggerated some things for effect. Right. Whereas, like, I don't think... Which makes it very difficult to believe... Yes. ...her claims in this court case. And also, I'm just... I'm sorry. That's never really been Paul's M.O. Exactly. I think if you actually said it was any other beetle, I'd believe you. Oh, definitely. But not Paul. Yeah. I'm sorry. Everything I've heard so far... And I'm sure that if you if you had any like inkling of something like this happening in the past, you would have said it. Right. So, I, yeah, that's also making it difficult to be like, yeah, I'm on your side. Yeah. I don't doubt that bad things have happened. Of course. Leading up to this court case. Yeah. But I do have a hard time believing that he like threw her into the tub or something when he when she was pregnant. Right. Like I am sure they had fights. Oh, Maybe yeah. he cheated Screaming on her. matches yeah. or whatever. I don't know. I don't see him trying to like beat Physically her Physically harm her. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where my line is drawn. Right. Regardless. Even though the judge did award her a pretty... Pretty nice little uh, sum of 16 million pounds. Fuck. She asked for 125. Son of a bitch. So it's like she won, but she also lost. Yeah. She also got child support, like 30 grand a year. Wow. Yeah, to pay for schooling and like a nanny to help. Rich people problems. Hashtag rich people problems. And this is like back in like the aughts, so... That was a lot of money back then. <laughs> yeah. Like, meanwhile, my mom's just asking my dad for like 50 bucks a week and he can't do it. <laughs> so, like, Yeah. Welcome to average people problems. Yeah. He claimed that uh, the overall defense was inconsistent and she proved to be an unreliable source of stories of her husband's lack of support. Yeah. Because then she would also say like he stopped her from doing her charity work. But like. But he were... was in on the charity work. Yeah. That. He did the charity work with her. That. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, look, we want to believe you, but we can't because you're like, making it really hard. Even the fucking British tabloids are like, yo, they're doing this charity shit together. Stupid Heather Mills. We don't like her. Like, she was she was definitely poorly treated by the tabloids. Yeah. I 100% well, agree with I that. I mean, I agree with that, too. And I believe it because the British tabloids treat everyone terribly. The They're legit the worst. So, yeah, they definitely made things up and made her seem way worse than she actually was. But also, she was kind of shitty. Yeah. She was kind of shitty. You can be both. You can be both. Both can be true. Right now, there's no glitch. It's not real. The glitch is fake. They are 
not mutually exclusive? They're not mutually exclusive. Okay. I I always think I'm using that term wrong. We are. Mm, Okay. (laughs) And to round up Paul's love life, in 2011, he married again, this time to Nancy Chevelle, a born New Jerseyan who is a VP of a family-owned trucking company and has served on the board for the MTA. How the fuck did they meet? Well, how they met is kind of up for debate. It's been claimed that they crossed paths 20 years prior because they both had homes in the Hamptons. But also, Nancy has some powerful second cousins in Barbara Walters, who enjoys to throw parties and play matchmaker and had the two meet at a shindig. Barbara Walters? Baba Wawa. <laughs> Baba Wawa. Baba Wawa. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to have you come in here and I'm going to make you cry. But I'm going to talk like I have marbles in my mouth. <laughs> I know. I cannot do a Barbara Walters impression <laughs> to save my goddamn life. Yeah, we don't need to. But unlike Heather, Nancy seems to be a bit more shrewd, especially when it comes to like the public eye. She's very much a businesswoman and tends to involve, like, avoid getting involved in any like publicity. Uh-huh. She's kind of like, look, I'm running my business. I got my own Seriously, shit going on. Seriously, I've never even heard of her. So right. Good for her. She's doing it. Yeah. Everybody was like, oh, she's 18 years younger than Paul McCartney. But then Who like, isn't? <laughs> Who isn't? Who isn't at this point? I mean... <laughs> That was kind of why I was like, oh, dinosaur beer. Because Paul McCartney is <laughs> kind of a dinosaur <laughs> in a good way. Like, he's like, I want to go to that museum and see the dinosaur He's bones. a fixture. He's a fixture. He, he is going to have his bones displayed at a hard rock cafe somewhere, just like an, a natural history museum. I'd be into that. Is that weird? No, you want to go to the hard rock cafe and see Paul McCartney's bones? Yes. Yes, yes I, I do. do. And do you want to see Prince's jacket next? No, I want to see Paul McCartney's bones. Wait, I want to see Prince's jacket on Paul McCartney's bones. Yes. Can we mummify Paul McCartney? Is that a thing? Can we still do that? I mean, I think it depends on what he wants. Okay. We'll see. All right. Maybe we can do something with like that bodies exhibit where we just like, I don't know, slice him up and suspend it from oh, the Oh, I can't. Ceiling. I can't do those. Oh, whole oh, bodies are gross. <laughs> They are kind of gross. Anyway, we digress. Yeah. Nancy, yeah, is 18 years younger than Paul, which Paul is like almost 80. So Nancy's in her 60s. So like this is fine, guys. Yeah. It's fine. They're all getting the senior discount. Oh, it they're all matter. going to IHOP together for their early they bird are. special. They're eating dinner at 430. The early love bird special. Oh, they're they're all going to IHOP at 4.30 and getting the Lovebird special. Oh, so. that's actually really cute. Just be glad they're not going to Waffle House. <laughs> Listen to that sweet playlist. <laughs> Either way, their relationship is still going strong 10 years later. And they actually really both seem to have found a, some second happiness later in life. Good. Because she was she's a divorcee. I mean, he's a widower and a divorcee. I guess he's a divorcee, too. Yeah. But yeah, like he's they... A div- He's a divorcee. It's, it's the same for men and women. Either way, um, for what it's worth, they seem to really love each other and be having Good. a really great, healthy relationship. Good for them. And, you know, Paul still writes some pretty solid love songs, and I'm assuming some of them are towards Nancy, and that's awesome. I do remember, I think last year-ish, I watched, I want to say, CBS Sunday Morning. Probably. And they did a feature on Paul McCartney because he was putting out a new album Mm -hmm. and he performed a new song and it was really good. Yeah. Honestly. 
his new work. Fucked if I remember what the fucking name was of still, that song. Still but, slaps. But it still slaps. It was a good song. I believe it. So good for him. Yeah. I do believe a lot of his magic was because he needed another person to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. And in the beginning, it was John. And then it was Linda. Yep. And now that he doesn't really have that, his songs are just like, you know, they're good. They're good. They're passable. Honestly, I think it's like solid indie rock. Yeah. Yeah. Like George. Solid indie rock. These guys were the originators of indie rock. Let's be honest. Honestly. Indie rock, you stand on the shoulders of the Beatles. You really do. So later Beatles. Solo Beatles. Yes. So bow down, bitches. (laughs) Bow down, bitches. (laughs) At this point. Paul is basically a legacy artist. Yep. He has continued to release music on the regular. Um, I believe he has up to 15 full albums, just solo. Yeah. It's like not including Wings, not including like the Fireman, not just including him, any. Himself, it's just With Paul. his name on it. Yeah. And if I were to suggest anything, it would be um, Egypt Station is a really good album. It came out in 2018. Hmm. And honestly, I mean, maybe that was one of the songs you heard because it, it, he does some been. great al- great songs on that album. I would yeah. highly suggest it. And then uh, Memory Almost Full has some great songs on it, too. And that was 2007. Mm. Memory Almost Full. That's so 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Millennial, <laughs> Ashley. He has an array of awards that he can boast, from being knighted to the Gershwin Prize to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a butt ton of Grammys. He pretty much can't get anything else. I'm pretty sure he's like... They're like, all right, sir, you you're you stamped your card too many times. I don't think he's an EGOT though. No, I don't think he is either. Yeah. He probably is waiting for a Tony. I don't know. You gotta give it to this guy for his activism too. He is a staunch fighter for animal rights. He's been a vegetarian for most of his life. Good for him. That's right? difficult. It is. Because sometimes maybe you order something from Taco Bell and they still put bacon in it. And you're like, but I really want to eat this. And then you eat it. And then you're like, well, I hope I don't destroy my Tom Tom. <laughs> Not that that's ever happened to me. He is still dedicated to the Linda McCartney Foods Company, oh. making sure they remain GMO free. He is anti-fracking and heavily involved with the Save the Arctic campaign, which focuses its concern on oil development in the Arctic. Wow. He is everything RuPaul is not. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. He's just Paul, not RuPaul. <laughs> it's like RuPaul is his environmental nemesis. Way to ruin it, Paul. Oh! Whoa! <laughs> I just want like a mecha robot fight between RuPaul and George or fucking Paul mecha McCartney. RuPaul. Mecha, mecha RuPaul. <laughs> I want this so hard now. Overall, Paul McCartney has done a lot with his life. This simple liver puddlian boy who just slacked off from school and tried to get by on his charm alone. Luckily, he fell into music and discovered how much hard work can benefit his passion projects. I came into this imagining that Paul was a sociopath. (laughs) Because on the surface, if you just see... It's totally plausible. If you just see the few things that are written about him, he comes off as a bit flippant and callous. Yeah. And now I feel totally differently. He's made his fair share of mistakes, but I don't see any malice from them. Once you look a little deeper, you discover how much his relationships actually mean to him. And he does mean to do the good, right thing. Yeah. I think at the end of the day. I don't think he wants to do anyone any harm. 
it comes down to him being that PR guy, the one who knew how to business the Beatles to success. Now he just does it for himself. He remains close to Ringo, and I have no doubt that if George and John were still alive, he would be close to them too. Yeah. At the end of the day, they were all Beatles. It's a part of their lives they will never shake. Paul still performs those classic tunes, even today. He still has to answer questions about what it was like to be a Beatle and how they write those songs. Though he has made a name for himself well beyond all of that, in many facets, no matter what, we are always going to see some of Paul, one half of the Lennon-McCartney duo. Yeah. And that's Paul. I think he really did get a lot of flack for for quote unquote breaking up the Beatles. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of flack for because people didn't tell the whole story. Right. But because also the whole story was incredibly complicated oh, and it wasn't newsworthy. My God. It was just so much easier to say Paul McCartney ends the Beatles. Exactly. So much easier to say it that way than it was to explain exactly what was going on. And I don't think anybody even bothered to try and figure out what was going on for like 40 fucking years after that. No. I don't think it was until recently when everyone was like, hey, wait a second. (laughs) That was complicated. And he only did that to try and help everybody else out in the long run. It just so happened that... Everybody kind of just went their own way after that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think through doing this series, we have put a lot of that puzzle together. Yeah. And like, and I know you were going into this, like, Paul McCartney's a fucking sociopath. (laughs) And I was totally on board, like, yeah, fucking figure it out. I don't care how you get there. Just figure it out. But like... I don't care if you Pepe (laughs) Sylvia this shit. You can Pepe Sylvia and yarn string line the whole thing. I don't give a shit. Just (laughs) figure out how he's a sociopath. But... He's not. I understand how people would come to that conclusion. Right. Especially considering everything that happened with the Beatles. Everything that happened with Heather Mills. Because honestly, like, the British tabloid shit spilled into America. Oh, yeah. It was so ridiculous. It spilled out all over America and peppered our imaginations with what happened. And just made us feel like, oh, he's beating her. So he's obviously a terrible person. That's not necessarily the narrative here right so it's hard to reconcile his relationship with the Beatles in the later part of the Beatles simply because he was a domineering person yeah but I think that's just because that was his personality he wanted Mm -hmm. to have control over everything yeah and he really wanted everybody else in the Beatles to be on board with how okay he was right with Beatlemania with their fame with everything like that but it just it's not that way it's you can't control everybody yeah and i mean even he says in uh the uh many years from now book he looked over some letters that like john and ringo had written for the courts during the whole suit thing and he's like oh wow i am a really bossy motherfucker (laughs) but that's what i like about him is that in in later years he was like oh fuck like i did a lot of things wrong like i i really was a bossy asshole during a lot of this it's just when you're young and when you have that amount of fame and that amount of pressure yep and i think now that was a lot of pressure that he had on him so i i totally understand why he acted the way he acted when he was in the Beatles. Right. And I mean, even beyond, I think at the certain point, he just said, 
fuck it. This is just who I am. If you want to be on board, you can be on yeah. board. If you don't want to be on board, once, I'm still just going to do my thing. Once 1970 rolled around and once he was like, oh, fuck, I have a family and a woman I love. He was like, this shit doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. And I want the family. I don't necessarily want the bullshit that comes with the Beatles. This is not worth the sacrifice. Yeah. And honestly, they all felt that way. Yeah. All of them did. And it sucks that <laughs> they went about it the wrong way. Yeah. And it sucks that the tabloids picked up on that, the yep. media picked up on that, and ran with it in that sense. Instead of everyone's just trying to do what they want to do and get away from the Beatles and just make good for everybody. Right. At least now it's kind of coming out that um that the Beatles that are that's humans. what they were trying to do. They were being fucking human, some of them better humans than others, but they were just trying to to save themselves and not sacrifice, you know, their sanity. Right. And yeah, at the end of the day, they're just people. You know, yeah. and I think now that we take deeper looks into things, there are books, there are shows, there are podcasts. There's Hi. the internet, period. There's the internet. You can paint a much more in-depth picture of what happened and who a they are. A much more humanistic yeah. picture of like, who they are. They have their flaws, and I think they have their merits, and I, yeah, I don't I'm hate still, any of them. I'm still doing this ebb and flow thing with John. Yeah, because I, I think I'm going into it. I think I know how I feel about John. I think he is just a someone who is troubled and never got the help he troubled, needed. Troubled, also very misunderstood. Yes. Um, But also, I understand why he was the way he was, but I'm not excusing the way he was the way right. he was. That's going to be pretty much the entire theme across all of these John Very episodes. It's going to be interesting. Well, that's a teaser for next week, yeah. kids, if you want to come back in. Thank you yeah. so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the episodes on Paul, and I hope it either gave you more insight into a beetle you really liked or made you like a beetle you didn't really like. Or... Hopefully it didn't make you hate him anymore because yeah. it didn't make me hate him. Yeah, right? Guys, we went in like not trusting Paul. I trust Paul now. Yeah, he's he's good. He's good okay. for you, Paul McCartney. You can go back up to like being one of my favorite Beatles. I if I had to take a survey about Paul McCartney, <laughs> please, I would recommend him to other friends. In a scale of one to five, <laughs> one being least likely and one, five being very likely, how would you recommend Paul McCartney? I would say a solid. Four. Oh, that's a good one. That's pretty good. Four is good. You know, four a four is, is believable. Yes. Five is almost not believable. I never I never select five. I do fives if I feel real good about it. Yeah. If the customer service was like, top notch. Like if I got a blowjob, I'm like, all right, I got to give them a five. <laughs> I got to give them a all five. Right. Anyway, thanks again for listening. <laughs> Hope you guys come back next week where we'll start to finish up with John. <sighs> And uh, But if you need to catch up, if you just hop it into Paul, you can listen to our episode on Ringo and our episodes on George. We got those at rockcandypodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And over there, you can also follow our social medias because we got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram where we, you know, talk bullshit and post pictures. And yeah. it's just more of us. Hopefully soon we'll be on, on some more things. Maybe. Yeah, we're working on it. It's hard. We're, we're grandmas. We're grandmas and we're busy and it's <laughs> just seasonal depression season, guys. I don't know what you want from us. Don't expect a lot. 
But also, if you want to buy our merch, we have some merch. Yeah. And it's on a relatively new website for us. Yes. It is Public. Hell yeah. We got some nice, sweet shirts and pillows and mugs. So if you guys buy anything, let us know how you like it. And even Take post a pictures. picture and we will post it and be like, hey, look at this person wearing our swag, swag, swag. Yeah. And we'll really do it this time. We really will, though. I promise. And if you want to give us more of your money, you can always go to our Patreon <laughs> because we certainly do appreciate your Patreon contributions. Heck yeah, we do. It's patreon.com slash podcast. You can give us some money every month and we will give you a monthly bonus episode where yeah. we just bitch about news. Oh my God, yeah. So much bitching. We Well, I have been told that we um, have exposed people to... Artists and news stories that they were not aware of. So I that's felt good. pretty accomplished well, nice. on that. Look at us. <laughs> Look at us. We're teaching people. And on top of that, we give you stickers and coasters and some sweet swag. And a shouty outy. And a shouty outy. So, you know, what else What else can you ask for? Nah, I don't know. I don't know either. Well, all right. I guess that does it for this week's episode. Come back does next it? week for some Banana Cakes Tales on John Lennon. <laughs> Hopefully I can shove them all into two two episodes we'll just to make a nice banana bread out of these john stories <laughs> fucking love banana bread uh. anyway so come back next week we'll talk about john <laughs> and until then party on ashley party on maggie and party on you crazy kids out there bye bye